Hey, everybody, Shop Talk Show number 271. Just Dave and I answering some questions. Thanks so much for sending those in always. We're going to talk about some things like container queries. Seem to be a little chatter and some relevant technology around that stuff later. But it kind of gets hot and gets cold. I don't know how that stuff's going on. Uh, we're going to be talking about pagination and which direction should those buttons point. That's kind of an unsolved problem that's pretty interesting. Uh, just what is a headless CMS? It seems like we have some people that just kind of are wondering how exactly to wrap their head around that concept a little bit. Definitely CSS architecture comes up. We're going to talk about Google and material design and kind of wondering if they're trying to wrap up some of the weird disparateness that is kind of associated with uh, material design a little bit. That and many more questions coming up here on Chop Talk Show. Mr. Dave, please kick things off. Hey there, Shopping Maniacs, you're listening to another episode of the Shopping Show. I'm Dave Rupert, with me is Chris Coyer. Yeah, that's right, everybody. Hey, this is just Dave and I on this episode. Remember what we used to call those? Uh, it started with rapid, but we're not even going to say the whole word because we don't do those anymore. Um, whatever, it's the same exact concept, but we're going to just do a bunch of questions from you. And then by the end of it, we'll probably have emerged upon a theme, I imagine. And we'll name the show after that theme, just because that's just more fun. I don't know, whatever. We like changing things. Yeah, changing things. We're getting old, guys. It's episode 270, so jumping here. And um, yep. it's just, you know, hey, you got to keep it fresh. Got to keep it interesting. Uh, so we got uh, lots of good questions. I would say thank you so much to the Shop Talk Show community and listeners who send us all in these wonderful questions. I love this batch of questions. I was arranging these for today and I'm like, well done. Shop Talk Show listeners. I love these questions. So if you have them, keep them coming. Go to the Shop Talk Show website and click the Ask a Question button and you can go there and do that. We always like audio questions if you feel so inclined, but you can just type them as well. Uh, let's kick it off. Let's kick it off. James Hammond writes in, I'm trying to wrap my head around what defines a headless CMS. Whenever I discuss it out loud, I come to this conclusion. I'm picturing him discussing this in his car. Like, <laughs> okay. Headless CMS. Uh, it's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is. Uh, it it is just an MVC without the V. Is this accurate? Can a headless CMS still have a view for entering the data uh, and be considered headless? Isn't that just an API? My mind is going in circles here. Yes, it can. Not can it still have a view? I would say absolutely. So when I picture a headless CMS, I try to think of it very abstractly because it could be anything. Uh, but yeah, it has a view and there's a text area there or whatever. And there's, you know, categories and tags and radio buttons and checkbox, whatever. There's a view, but there's no, uh, it's definitely missing the V. It's like a CMS that is a, what did, how are we thinking of a JSON factory? Yeah, like a JSON factory. It makes URLs and it spits out JSON data, but it doesn't care at all what you do with that JSON data. Like, it just doesn't matter. So a picture WordPress, and I know this is muddies the water a little bit because WordPress can be used as a headless CMS because they do have now a very nice JSON APIs for all the data in WordPress. But WordPress also has lots of stuff in WordPress that's specifically for theming. So there's 
little PHP API stuff for querying the posts and looping over the posts and outputting the title. And it generates an RSS feed and it's got stuff for pagination and it's got all this stuff. That's great. It's great for theming. But like a true, pure, headless CMS, I guess, if you were designing one from scratch, wouldn't have any of that stuff. It doesn't Mm -hmm. care about your views. It doesn't care about your themes. It just has data in it and allows you to edit data and whatever, and then and then has that data accessible through JSON APIs. It does not care about the front end at all. And the kind of like misnomer is like your headless CMS will have a bunch of different heads. The, you know, the iOS client, the watch client, the Android client, the website. Like you have to build a, an app that consumes the front end like, or consumes that JSON and spits out a front end. But that's but the, the whole, whole thing, point of it. Because then... Yeah, decoupled. That's great. Yeah, I can see and, this. And go and go back in time, James. Listen to the episode. Gosh, what was it? Two oh four with Jeff Eaton and Matt Benowitz. We talk heavily about this and the and the usage of it. I think that will uh, put your mind at ease listening to that that episode of it. But it's still now, you know, over a year later after that episode, I find it's still a very interesting and compelling. Yeah, no, I think I think it where I you know I do think it's tough to like roll out and like do like it's not it's not yeah. as like dreamboat as everyone thinks it is, but I do think like it, it's a good system, especially if you have like native clients or bots or whatever. You know, like you just, if I was a big publishing company, there's no and I had the choice and I was going to roll in there as director of engineering at some big publishing company. There's no doubt this is where I would tell us to go. Well, yeah, uh, uh, Vox, do you know Vox.com, Vox product, Vox Chorus. Chorus is their CMS thing that they work on. Uh, Is it headless technically? Yeah, yeah. And then um, I think, I believe it is, but the, uh, they, uh, they just spun up two sites uh, for like, uh, like esports or whatever league of legends and overwatch and stuff like that but oh no kidding really yeah kind of polygon forks just for like esports these things and and i think like it was a relatively simple exercise because their cms is is well tuned to kind of just spit out new sections of a site so or like a new sites basically so anyway i just it, CMSs are very interesting territory i don't know if it's like actually a true headless cms but i would imagine at their volume they have no interest in their if authoring. If you follow them, they, they're very, it's impressive at how fast they work at that mm-hmm. size of a company. So they're doing something right. That's for sure. So. Well, I think, I think it's really important that your authoring tool, like your, where I type something in, if you're like any huge amount of volume, is not coupled to your rendering tool, like your, your you know, front end thing, or else you end up kind of, you know, you, you could get like, crashing bugs i mean possibly mm-hmm. at that sort of scale james is like isn't it just an api my mind's going in circles here yeah you can think of it like that think of yeah. a headless of course yes a headless cms has to have a, a a wonderful api to it that's the whole point and uh it would certainly be doing it wrong if that api was anything less than fantastic <laughs> yeah. in a sense. all right Next question comes from Greg Thomas. Uh, hello, I recently started learning SAST and was wondering where the best place to put media queries is. Should they be embedded in a separate partial file uh, inside the appropriate nested rule or at the bottom of the document? Oh. <laughs> I, went, I went happy, sad, happy there. I feel like uh, 
Um, yeah, I don't know. I we've been doing a lot of thinking about the future around here. I feel like on the show and and maybe us individually. And I've been kind of a little bit following in Dave's coattails a little bit. In, in that maybe I, to be clear, I use SaaS on all of my major projects right now. I like SaaS. I. I'm going to continue to use it for the foreseeable future, I think. But I can definitely imagine a day where we don't anymore and that CSS is definitely headed in the direction where you need less pre-processing, I think. And I get that. And I was like, okay, what are all the features of SaaS? Like one by one, they're being replaced by other, other tools that maybe do a better job or integrate a little more intelligently. And, and then the feature set of SaaS itself, native CSS is catching up with. Like I could see, I could see dropping SaaS. And then I, and then I remember nesting that. And there's not anything else that's really purporting to do that. Not that individually could be replaced by a different preprocessor, but uh, yeah, that was a yeah. long thing to say. I really like nesting media queries. <laughs> yeah, like, so you, you, you write the rule, your module, and then uh, what I do is I actually, at the bottom of that module, I kind of group my media queries kind of at the bottom. Uh, only because uh, you know, if I like, I'm I'm doing like module U L L I A A hover at media query. It gets like really like I'm super far into that. I don't like having like really deep media queries, or else you just kind of forget about forget they exist, and then all of a sudden you're like, yeah. why is this? You know, it's hard. I have hard to been confused by my own nesting because you're like, oh, this is this got weird. So yeah, I tend to like have the media query. I like to nest them because what I don't like is. I mean, let's set one up. You know, you have like a small component and it's display flex, but at a small screen media query, you say display block. I kind of like it when those two lines of code are pretty close to each other in the CSS and that separating them too far screws up my mental model a little bit. And I'm like, ugh, why are these little lines of code that are so related to each other so far apart? It messes me up. But, you know, I can screw that up as well and mess them too far away. Dude, I'm going to make a website for a new framework called Retro CSS, and it's uh, just coding CSS. <laughs> the, the fastest, most powerful framework. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fastest, I used to make that joke about vanilla CSS. Yeah. It's almost a joke that vanilla CSS as a term, or vanilla JS is like caught on, you know, because it sounds like a framework name. And in fact, I've guest authors write in and they say it and the way they spell it is capital V, then no space, and then capital JS. I'm like, that, it sounds like you just wrote the name of a framework, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like you branded a vanilla JS framework, but it's really just CSS or JS. That's why I think retro CSS is really going to take off. I'm I'm working on the code pen now, so we're going to call it retro CSS. No, no preprocessors. No, <laughs> no uh, ugly regular. nesting rules. Still, you know? what are you going to do, Pam? Are you gonna, you know, oh gosh, well, snacks? yeah, you don't know. Uh, uh, well, let's go. Hey, I think that's a segue into some. Uh, but Greg, uh, no wrong answers here. Nesting is nice, but you can screw that up too. If whatever works with your mental model and stuff, I would say definitely like shop it around the shop a little bit, you know, like maybe just pick one of them and see what everybody else thinks. If there's an established standards, maybe go with that. But but yeah, SAS does offer that nested media queries. It's a uniquely cool feature of SAS and other preprocessors as well. But uh, if it doesn't work for you, then 
you know, do something. Yeah. Let, yeah. I mean, put some stuff in a code pen and be like, what do you think of this or something? You know, like let, ask people questions. Let's uh, share your code and ask questions. I think that helps you kind of form an opinion. So uh, next question. You want to read it or I, got, I can read it here. Brody Austin writes it. Hi there. Uh, that's not what Brody sounds like. I may be wondering, <laughs> worrying of over a solved problem, but I get hung up every time I try to do pagination between mm. content. Okay, let's say you have a series of event pages uh, and you're looking at the most recent event. Okay, I'm at the okay. newest event. Oh, so Where you're looking at a single event. Okay. The most recent one. Yep. Um, so, where should the Next and previous buttons point. So you have a next button and previous button with well, there probably some arrows. One. There'd be missing one because it's the most recent event. So there's no yeah, more recent than that. But I get it. Yeah. Well, but I guess in on time, that would be like yesterday's event. And then there would be a previous one and there would be a next one, right? At the most recent past event. I mean, sure. Let's imagine yeah. that you can go both directions. You're going both directions. You're in the middle of a pagination sequence. <laughs> so uh, where do the buttons point? Uh, is the previous event, the older event, to the left or to the right? This is impossible. It's definitely not a solved problem. And I've yeah. heard, I th- like, okay, this exists on Shop Talk Show. I happened to, just because I looked up that old episode with uh, Matt and Jeff, it's episode 204, which definitely has a previous and next episode. And on the Shop Talk show, we have next episode on the right and with an arrow pointing to the right. And a previous episode on the left and pointing to the left. I think like language goes from left to right. Our calendars are set up left to right. It kind of makes sense to me that in my head, like the next thing is to the right. Although it's kind of funny in that it's actually the opposite. Like if you click next episode on this, you go to episode number 205, which is actually in the future. No, that, that lines up with how a calendar works. It would be like February 29th. Yeah, it would, like you're, you're scrolling the time, scrubbing the timeline left and right. And, and the right is the most future. It doesn't always work like this. I even think of CodePen, like you, you're, you're on the homepage of CodePen and you're looking at a bunch of pens. If you click next with an arrow to the right, you're actually looking at older pens. Mm. So it doesn't, it's not always lined up with time. You know? Yeah, that, that's what's weird. It, it, the reverse chronologicality of it, it, you know, like a blog is reverse chron, newest up, up top. Right, you're next, on CSS, next, you hit next, or on your you site, you hit older. next. Yeah, you go to older stuff, not newer stuff. That's but crazy. then, but in like when, when, yeah, but like, it's almost like a backwards book in that sense. Like, cause like you turn the page, you see something older, you're not seeing like newer content. I guess it would be different content, but like you're, you're going backwards through time, not forwards or whatever. So yeah, I don't know. This is weird. Like a reverse, I think the reverse cron thing is weird, but I think in a, like a calendar situation events, that's all should be chronological. So, uh, but if you go to like the events page, you want to see the, the like most upcoming, not even the most like futuristic, but the most, the most like close to this date. Um, yeah, and you right. don't like really want to see events on your site would be the most recent to today. And then if yeah. you hit next or what, that's it. I, before I say hit next, I should be, I think what the, Thing that sh- is 
not up for debate here is that the text on the button that accompanies it should be very clear about what's going on. If yeah. you have a choice to, if you have a choice to, ha- to, to customize what that button says, and of course you do, what should it say? And I think it should say, you know, in the case of, of, of Shop Talks, for example, it says next episode and previous episode. So previous episode, like you just get it. You're like, oh, it's an episode before this one. The text is very clear. If you're on an event page and you have the choice, if you're looking at all the events in June and the button could say, look at July events, that's very clear. And you should do that Mm -hmm. if you can, regardless of which way you decide to point the arrow, having clear text is more important. That said, which way should the arrow point? (laughs) I think let's do it. Let's do it. I I want to do a quiz, Chris. Okay, are you ready? <laughs> okay. okay, we're gonna do we're gonna do three, two, one, and then you give your answer. Okay, and uh, so okay, I'm on a uh, let's say it's it's what July now, almost July here. So uh, July, um, I'm on the July events page, and I want to see the events, the August events. Okay, where I'm on July, and I'm, I and the button is gonna go to August. The button's going to August. Uh, is is the button on the left or right? Don't answer right now. We'll, we'll do a three, two, one. Ready? Three, two, one. Right. right. Okay. I think that's the answer. Okay. Hey, that's weird. It's <laughs> tough. It's. I don't think. I think everyone messes it up. I actually know for a fact Trent Walton and I, who work at the same company and have for the last ten years, do it differently on our blogs for like older posts. Mm-hmm. My older post is is a right arrow. His older post is a left arrow. I so. think of the WordPress API for it. There's little things called next next posts or next post link or something, and mm-hmm. they don't. That's how they were able to stay unopinionated about it. Is there's just an API and it just spits out a link and it goes to another page, uh, but it doesn't. Uh, you know, it's up to you to like float them left or float them right or position them or anything. It doesn't uh, mm-hmm. doesn't order them in any particular way. Although it is a little opinionated about pagination in general. I think about this a little bit in that. Like, like I could send you shoptalkshow.com slash page slash four right now, Dave. And the top, mm-hmm. the top show on that is episode 253. So I could see copying this URL and I'd be like, hey, bro, look at this. Look at the show here. And mm-hmm. then if you waited a month to click on that, it would be wrong. It wouldn't have the same content on it because pagination changes. We would have published more posts and it would have pushed what's on slash page slash four differently. Yeah, which I, it, it doesn't match up with my mental model of like what's that URL should change. It freaks me out. So there is a way to solve it potentially. Is that if I click next, it takes me to like page three hundred and twenty-one or whatever, in which there's always will be the same stuff on it. But that's right. so weird. Like you don't want to yeah. see a URL like that. Well, and if posts like got unpublished or you know repub, you know that might yeah, mess or you change how many too. are on into any individual page, so it's it's very yeah. easy to mess up. And I think the the long and short of it is that people don't share pagination pages all that much. I would think, yeah, but you're and right. Also, the content does change. So. Yeah. and like I, wonder, I think Google has been dealing with this problem for so long that they don't probably really care either. They can kind of tell that a page is a pagination page and don't often show that type of thing in Google search results. So if they do are aware that they change frequently and uh, are, they get re-indexed regularly. Huh. I that, yeah, yeah, no. That makes me one... I'm like, now I'm URL purist Dave Rupert over here, but I'm just like, should it be a query var? 
you know, with the, like a date range or something, you know, or oh, like, right. Like, but anyway, okay. Hey, 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 hey. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's, let's get off this, this train. Uh, you want to <gasps> read the next one here? Sure, Jonathan? I'd be happy to. Jonathan, um, this is interesting. Google is currently working on Material Components Web, which is an implementation of their material design guidelines that, uh, that has hooks that will allow it to work with multiple JavaScript frameworks. Do you think it will become the de facto framework for material design? What do you think will happen to all the current projects that implement the material design guidelines for a specific framework? What are your thoughts in general on a large company moving into a domain that was previously filled by a bunch of smaller projects? This is interesting. I didn't really know that this existed, but I did look it up. And there really is a thing called Material Components Web. And that looks like that. I wonder if I could... Let me go to the URL here. Let me just read it quick. Um, this is, there's a GitHub repo for it. It literally is by Google. Uh, material components for the web, which they're calling MDC Web, mm-hmm. help developers execute material design developed by a core team of engineers and UX designers at Google. These components enable a reliable development workflow to build beautiful and functional web projects, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of text here. It's well-written and it's well done. And it, it seems to make sense to me because there is like material angular and there is material design light. And there is like material design, the thing that says, please don't think of this as code. This is just design concepts for you to consider and think about that guides Google. So there is like disparate things related to material design. And it does, it seems to make sense to me to try to rope all this stuff in. Hmm. Um, at the same time, I think I'm going to credit Val Head here. I think this is Val that, that mentions this, is that this is also kind of weird and that material design is what Google uses to build Google things. Like material design looks googly on purpose. It's Google's design pattern library. It's Google's design philosophy. It's Google, Google, Google all the way through. It's very weird to have Google then say, "Oh, also you you use this too." Like it's Google's brand, yeah. but they're saying use Google's brand for your stuff too. Like why? Hey, yeah. Why? That's hey, very weird. Did you consider uh, wearing in Dave Rupert LLC? <laughs> you know, clothes. Did you did you consider? You should do that. You should definitely do that. Um, Isn't branding my... kind of important? Shouldn't you have your own look and feel kind of thing? Or is Google so big and so broad and op- and makes an operating system as well as websites that that like they transcend that? Kind of... I yeah. I you mentioned the operating system. I think it's very much like geared towards like I want to look like a first class citizen in um, in Android. You know. Yeah. Um, but what if a crappy company uses it and they look good, but it reflects on Google's brand poorly because yeah, yeah. What if my like uh, yeah my my porta potty business is just the <laughs> most awesome material design <laughs> <laughs> website? <laughs> you know, does that does that uh, make Google happy? But uh, yeah, I mean, there's I think like it's all about kind of existing in that that ecosystem. Um, I mean. It's totally fine. Like the you know the, this box of Legos that they're providing, maybe it does suit your needs and suits your brand, and kind of it has the the ethos you were going to kind of go with anyway. Um, that's great. Use it. Uh, I I do think with anything, any framework, um, you know, you're going to hit the kind of edges of it real quick. Mm-hmm. You know, like even less. Like, you think? Yeah, I mean, you have to abide in there design language and their guidelines and then their, you know, how they provided some code and then you have to kind of like exist in it. And I think that's like a, a little bit of a like, 
I don't know. You're, you're, you're going to yeah, be yeah. kind of tied down. There's going to be something you want to do and they don't, they, they kind of don't want to do I sympathize with this. I'm cursed. I'm cursed with this. I we was working on like an admin rewrite kind of project for like some, you know, backend stuff that nobody will ever see for as far as code pen. And, and, um, Jake works for me. He's like, let's just, can we like ditch our admin CSS and just go with one of these frameworks? And to me, I'm like, absolutely. Like, it's not my style. I probably wouldn't just because I'm a weirdo, but like, I get it. Like, I don't want anybody burning time writing a bunch of CSS for tabs that just doesn't need, especially that nobody will ever see. I care deeply about user-facing CSS and structure and that type of thing, but it's like, let's build an admin tool yeah, you want to use a framework, go for it. I don't care. That's, I mean, we had Mark Otto on to talk about Bootstrap, right? That's what it was for, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, I want that for my internal tool at my the comp- same company we work for. <laughs> right. So I was like, fine, whatever. Like, And then he picked Materialize, which is okay. material design, but not from Google. Okay. Deal. But I thought it was pretty good. It's like not as, I don't find it as polished as Bootstrap is, but it's, pretty good you know it's got all this stuff that you'd mostly expected to get until like one second after using it i'm like where's the thing for like you know this is just i forget if it, i think this materialize actually does have this but this is the kind of thing that happens to me like oh i want like one of those lists that has like stuff on the left and stuff on the right and any given you know mm-hmm. thing or whatever and i was like it yeah. doesn't have that and it turned out it was like the one thing it didn't have and i think this is not right I, we have also used um Bulma on another related project that's like different, which I right away I was like, oh great guys, now we have two frameworks that are totally different it. that we're using. <laughs> that's wonderful, great. We did it, Good uh, job, but no, everybody. but they had. I was like, I don't, I don't care. It's not, not that I don't care, but it's like they they're separate. They don't touch each other. They're both big and well documented and stuff. Both Materialize and Bulma are, are pretty good, I think. Mm-hmm. But yeah. anyway, yeah, I can see that being cursed. Like that's what you were saying, Dave, right? Like you, then you go to reach for one thing and it's not there, and you're like, "OMG!" Because to me, the whole point of using this is not only is it nice, but it's faster. And I don't want to write any CSS. I don't want to. I don't. Not even because time, but like I don't want that Frankenstein thing going on here. Like I don't want to be maintaining this library and our own little bespoke set of. 87 lines of stuff yeah. that override stuff in the framework. I'm like, some, oh. some niche code pen joke framework <laughs> that, that is your like internal tool design language. You don't want to do that. So. And this is somebody else's mental model. Don't you find that to be true too? Where you like, you use this module or component or something, but then it doesn't like sit next to the next one like you would expect it would, or there's like some vertical spacing problem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you hit these problems like instant. I'm actually using uh, a client's kind of pattern library and man, I'm having a rough time. Like the way I like type two things and like hit refresh and then like God knows what happens. It's just, it's really just like rolling dice to see if it lays out, you know, and I'm just like, how this is like, like Dave Rupert is like about 10 minutes away from like, like burning it down and yeah, refactoring like, oh, it. Oh, I need a div but, class container around it because this framework only deals with, puts padding on that. And, and then if you ever yeah. want padding, you have to do that and change your HTML or whatever. So I do, I do have an idea that I'll float yeah. past you here. So yeah. I recently redesigned my own personal site and there's like nothing to it, right? It's super simple. I'm like, oh, this is a good experience. To like, I'll try it. I'll try some other framework or some, some kind of thing. And uh, um, so there's like atomic CSS, but I wasn't totally ready to like go in, all in on like a build process 
just yeah. to like do that. I was like, well, I'm going to use something else. So I, I, I tried out um, base CSS or bat. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's base CSS. Have you seen that? Thing? Like drop the base. I think so. But it, you know, it could be like the fish, which is a bass, right? Oh, but anyway, uh, whatever. It's, it's, a, like, it's, it's called a low-level tool, tool toolkit. Yeah, I bet it is. It's because low-level, like low-level sound. Yeah, you're right. It's it's definitely base CSS. Anyway, it's only like things that you think of like atomic CSS, like a little class name that just changes font size, or something that just applies margin just to one side, or just puts a border on the left, or hides it, or makes something inline block, or vertical aligns it, or whatever. Like it's just classes like that. So that it's mm-hmm. not, you know, whatever, which I think is kind of useful. And those things are built into Bootstrap too. Bootstrap has things that are like, just add some padding to this thing, which I have found terribly helpful when using Bootstrap. Because like, if, if, if some component doesn't quite do what you want, you just chuck another class or two on it and space things out how is appropriate for you and your mental model. So I tried to make my whole personal site and Base CSS and it went okay, but then like I needed something else that was like an add-on to base CSS, but I didn't have like a build process, like an npm style build process that could add it in there easily. But then they make some version of base CSS that has all the all the things added. And then I did that, and then I still had some little problem. And I was like, oh, I don't want to like add my own CSS in in addition to this. And I ultimately I gave up. But it's not that I didn't to- totally hate it. What, what I thought, though, was that all these other frameworks, Bulma and Bootstrap and Materialize, and all that, I, w- it w- I think it would be cool if they would all agree to not ship their own helper classes, but ship this. So that yeah. there's some consistency to what the helper classes are. That yeah, cool. that, I, that's something I've been thinking about lately. Just how, like, can a, what if, what if like a pattern library or tiny Bootstrap or whatever is kind of just a core set of modules w- Plus some utility classes to build your own modules, you know, um, with the same kind of look, feel, branding. PB2 to add a little padding to the bottom of something or like Mm -hmm. FS8, you know, like those type of things, they don't bother me at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Whatever, ship it, you know? Yeah, I think (laughs) I, I still like if the whole site is that, that's something. But if you're just trying to do a little fixes and nudges and in plumbing like patchwork i think it's great i mean i think that's like oh no it's like going to home depot and getting your your two by fours you know i'm always very careful about my html anyway like if i rip this out someday or whatever i find redesigning things you're always looking at both the html and the css and you'd be like oh that's an old class that was from this we don't use that anymore i'll just fix that up you know yeah it's not like you put some html on something in a in a theme and it's just like yeah, it's there forever. It has ruined this. Your perfect HTML. It's like no, it's a temporary thing to help you out with some stuff. That being yeah. said, not in the database. You know, we've talked about that concept before too. Like, if I would never use these classes on content that's getting dumped as part of content in a database. In a database, yeah. If you write a class in like a database, you you're in a tough spot in the future. So. It's that's always, I think, the case. No, so, I use um, in the rare cases that you need to because you need like a a figure that floats to the left or something and some content. Mm-hmm. You really need to be careful about those. Like, think of those ahead of the time. Maybe call it something really generic and really like namespaced. Yeah, yeah. I even like uh, like if I need that, I, like I have a little 
you know, art direction sort of plugin for my site. Like I can oh. inject a style tag in my Jekyll. Like it's just basically, I spit out like a head, anything I want to go in the head and I'll just, I'll just like hard code like that, like figure end of type two float left or something, you know, and, and just right. kind of so like, it doesn't, hasn't invaded your, your yeah, it's, it's attached to the post, but it's, it's pristine. It's pulled out of the markup and, or of the content. And then, you know, I can, I can automate the process of stripping out that meta tag if I want, you know, um, that's, or just not render that in the future or something. So I, I feel like it's, you know, you scope your styles into a like modifications, you know, meta tag thing. Yeah. But anyway, uh, bringing it back around, Jonathan says, <clears throat> "Will this become the de facto framework for material design?" I don't know. The thing's already got five thousand stars. It probably will, especially if it's designed to not just work with Angular but work with anything and bring the, all this material design stuff in house. Not only does Google have a ton of clout if they do a good job with this, and which they kind of already have because material design is already pretty sweet. Um, yeah, yeah, but I don't know if it's going to be like the thing for the entire web or whatever. Like, I don't no. think this is how you make websites now. But I think you know, if you're, if again, if material design suits your, It'd be interesting your to see situation. how they approach it. Because if they're saying like, oh, this will work in your React app too, how? You know, like what is you know, it, it does because anytime you do a component thing, you come, it comes with some JS like drop downs or what you know, right? Like. It, that stuff exists. So, like, how well does it graft into your right. existing technology stack? So, is it going to be? I mean, I could. See, I I don't think they have much choice. But you have to be like, well, whatever you use for your like JSX like component thing, it, HTML is going to need to look a little a bit like this. Yeah, has to function like that. So, right, and uh, if 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 this is dependent on class names changing, well, it's on you. You. Do whatever yes. you need to do in React to change that class or view or whatever else. So I, I can't oh, imagine that it's like perfectly like drop in, do whatever you want. We'll make sure it works in your library. It's like no, you'll make sure. Yeah, well, dude, well, we we need to get going. But like, okay. like I just like accessibility is really getting me right this week and stuff like that. Like just doing it right and uh, uh, it just you know it, it's like I don't know how you'd have a framework handle it. Cause the second you need like an extra div or something like, boom, like your whole, ex, you know, or a P tag or something, you know, like your whole, like, like query selector model for this, this accessible component is almost exploded. So like it's, it's anyway, that's, that's another post for another day. Hey folks, Dave and I have some ideas for some shop talk show t-shirts. We just haven't quite gotten there yet. You can't buy one maybe soon someday. Uh, but after a brief absence away, there are shirts available both on CodePen, just like a nice CodePen logo set in the middle of a nice kind of heather gray t-shirt. That's available over on CodePen.io uh, uh, slash store. And then the shop on CSS Tricks is open again now, which I'm excited about. So cssfix.com slash shop has four new nerdy CSS t-shirts available. So it's totally a way to support uh, all of the sites in the greater Shop Talk Show family is to pick up a couple of these. You know, they're in a wide variety of sizes. They're obviously super nerdy. Um, the CSS Tricks ones are like the, the, the logo type for CSS Tricks. When you don't say CSS Tricks, they say other 
nerdy front end things. Like one of them just says, cascading style sheet. Don't you know, you always wanted a shirt that just confesses your love for all that is CSS. One of them just says, front end web developer. Let the world know who you are. So uh, those are available at css-tricks.com slash shop. Oliver Williams writes, and I read a lot about modular CSS architecture. At the moment, the vast majority of my selectors target one specific element on a specific page. Very bespoke setup here. I'm writing mountains of CSS. I like the idea of making everything more reusable. My designer likes variety. <laughs> and the hairs on my neck just stood up. So, uh, um, I know we like to use 20 pixels of batting, but... Uh, Feeling 19 on this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, try 17. No, Can sure we bump that down to 17? <laughs> no. um, the uh, things move around wildly on mobile, tablet, and desktop, and all the layouts are unique from page to page with little consistency. How am I meant to turn such designs into modular CSS? I love this. this. Yeah. I, I think this is a situation uh, lots of people have been in or are in. I think it's... I think the world that I grew up in, maybe we did, is that we write CSS in a way that's like, of course I'm going to make it reusable. I'm thinking in pattern libraries. I'm going to make a class that describes what this thing is and I'm gonna, and then in HTML, I'm going to apply that class to what I need it to. Of course I'm thinking of reusable. That's the nature of CSS. Is it's the style sheet that applies to my entire site and I'm Designing things that you know that, that are useful to me over time, you know, it keeps it. CSS is the tool to make things consistent, and that's just how we think about CSS and its role in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. But then there's modular CSS, or if, you know, maybe I don't know. That seems a little bit at odds with that, but also is nothing wrong with it. Which is this idea that I'm I'm going to write highly scoped CSS that really only applies to this one thing. That kind of eschews the the, the I don't know if I use that word correctly, but do, doesn't you know? It's the kind of the opposite of that. It's not meant to be reusable, really. It's meant to be applied to just this one thing, and get rid of that global nature of CSS and all that stuff. And there's very good reasons for all that too. And those do, do those things seem at odds, and but but are going to ultimately, in my opinion, going to need to live together. Yeah, I mean, I, I think. You know, the the designer part stands out to me, um, you know, yeah. uh, things moving. a different moving, part of this like, question is that designer who is like, I don't yeah. want to write. I mean, it sounds like they, they you know, if things are super different on mobile, tablet, and desktop, it sounds like they, they um, yeah, bless their heart, but it sounds like they uh, don't quite understand responsive web design or just the, the, the idea of consistency of layout and consistency of content uh, across like cross device experience. They're like, Oh, I want this like footer up by the header on the tablet. Cause tablet people love footer. You know, they're making these kind of wild assumptions um, that are probably unvetted. Um, that's it. So let's see, you know, or maybe they're like, Oh, tablet people want big old thumb nabs on the left side of the, the tablet or something. Like, I don't know if that's true. You know, um, and I, Oliver I think- is struggling with it because it's hard to, to make these like really reusable classes. That- yeah, no, I think it's it is hard because you're basically have to code three exact web pet websites for every single page on the website. Every template on the website has to like has three different layouts or whatever. So I would say, you know, I, I think you're gonna have to figure out how to do this and, and kind of maybe like like you know, I, I think what 
I think what you can do is maybe off, uh, offer variations, you know, of, of these like components. I'm thinking of like a product card or something like that. Like you have this like major workhorse component, you know, you have, you have product card one, product card variation two, variation three, you know, like you have, you have these like kind of, you know, you build these kind of Legos and then if the designer comes to you with a totally different Lego for how to like make product cards, you're like, Hey, I, well, we have these three, like the horizontal and the vertical one, you know, I can spend two weeks making your thing, your new one and make sure it's all tested and everything. Or like we can, could, it's only 10% different from this horizontal product thing. Could we just use that? And I bet they'll probably say like, let's just use that. But uh, you know, it's, it's, that's not always true, but I think, I think you need to kind of find the workhorse pieces and, and kind of codify those and say like, Hey, we don't need to like reinvent these every time. They're very expensive to reinvent too. Like, like uh, I'm thinking of like your cost you over time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I think about the expensiveness of components quite a bit, like trying to, I want to like write a library that ascribes dollar signs to components, like based on the number of oh. if statements and like the number of kilobytes and the number, like wow. this is a $20 or like $20 or like $20,000 yeah. component. And then you have a budget, you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You have a dollar budget. Like, like <laughs> this is a vi- classic weird Dave thinking that I love. Dude, I, <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, I'll put the I'll put that on my website for uh, <laughs> for for this new framework I'm writing. But uh, I, I I just you know this idea that like you know it, time is is not immaterial or like it, it's it costs money. It it costs takes time to make things. It takes costs money to make things. Um, I would love a way to like abstract that from like lines of code or I like think of a couple plus if statements and you know like there's this there's this idea that you already have like variety one two and three of this card and now all of a mm-hmm. sudden there's four and you're like oh I would say that my style traditionally has been I will make this choice for you <laughs> and that often <laughs> I didn't talk about I'll be yeah. like. The yeah. developer override. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. a design was passed to me. You use your unique skills as a designer to hand me a thing. And I probably like 95% of it. And some of it, I'm like, oh, I see what you did here. But you know what? We already have three of those. I'm going to make that choice for you. And maybe there's pushback, but like often I didn't, I don't even want to have this conversation. You know, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm trying to be like, you have your skill set and you have applied it to the thing that you gave to me, and I have a skill set, and I'm applying it to this page. So that's just kind of how I rolled. I wasn't trying to be a jerk. I was just like, I'm doing what I think is right here. So maybe that will work for you. Maybe it won't. Another yeah, thing I think yeah. Of, well, that, thing that's I think of, the waterfall. You're getting crushed by the waterfall because you're getting, you know, you're getting handed a set of problems, not a, not a solutions. And I'm sure there's some in, in organizations where you, you would be looked at like you did a bad job. Yeah, and some prices where you'd be praised. So it depends on the, the organization. Head over to shopdoctor.com slash jobs. <laughs> <laughs> there's been a lot of good jobs on there, by the way. Go go okay. do that. There's been, I, there's a proliferation of excellent jobs on the Shop Doc Show job board. Uh, another thing I think of, and this is very related to modular CSS, because I think in the all this stuff is all related. Like this design systems is related to modular CSS in a way is related to new JavaScript as I've just started thinking of it in my head, which means like any of these frameworks that have like component-driven models, you know? 
But anyway, Sarah Dresner just had a post on CSS Tricks about mixins in Vue.js, and it was about that. It was like, let's have a component that's, and let's say there's three slight variations on it. Well, in HTML, we'd probably handle that by a different class on it and stuff, but maybe it's a little bit more different still than that. Like it has a different HTML structure. Who knows? You need to use a little logic inside of this component to do different things. That mm-hmm. Vue has this concept of a mix-in, which I think is well-named because we, that's how it works in like SAS too. Is like a chunk that you pass a parameter to and it can be a little different when it comes out depending on the parameters of that thing. So I think it's nicely named. That makes sense. I think it's, it's cool to have one component that can handle these uh, variety components for you. And it was all slightly controversial, I think, in that world because... Vue does it that way, and React said, no, we're not going to have mix-ins. We're going to have this concept of a higher-order component, which is like a component that like returns an altered component or something. I think it's slightly more... Okay. So you can't like modify a component. You have to write a new one that contains... That takes or the like other component as in, a parameter and like returns sure. it Sure. I sure. think. Do not quote me. Gosh, on that. we've made web development so easy. <laughs> <laughs> we really streamlined this process. Oh boy. Oh boy. Um, yeah. Um, no, I think um, you know. I back to like uh, reusable CSS. I, I was just going to say, um, uh, reading Jonathan Snook's Smacks the book. You know, I can't really. He has it all up on the web, but I can't. I don't think it's the complete book. I think it's kind of just a, a intro or cursory kind of thing. Um, but uh, reading reading the book, like buying the nine dollar or maybe it's a twenty dollar book, it was well worth it. Uh, to like just read through, like somebody who's good at CSS, read through their kind of um, manifesto on how things should kind of work in the large scale applications or sites. That was very helpful for me. Uh, you know, I don't ascribe to Smacks or BEM like strict religious, you know, levels. But, you know, it, when you see and read about these methodologies, you're, you become, I don't know, it helps you formulate your opinions and your feelings and your thoughts um, and gives you strategies, I guess, to kind of deal with these sort of like these high levels of variations. And one thing that Smacks has, and BEM has it in the modifier kind of way, but Smacks has themes kind of built in and how you theme components. And so like your your variations on that product card or whatever, that workhorse component are really just different themes. And once you start kind of unlocking that brain power and that the way of thinking about that, um, your code gets way reduced way easier. So that way you don't have two product cards. You just have one product card that you can have a a modifier class appended to that sort of changes it a little bit. So like doubles the padding or something like that. So anyway, I I think like get into that. You should check it out. Fantastic. Let's see. Do we have one more? I got time for one more here. Otherwise, that stand-up bot is coming for me. (laughs) Let's do Mason Bronze here. Yeah, I got got a stand-up bot coming for me, bud. So (laughs) I better wrap this up. Oh, Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, Mason Braun writes in, what is the status on container slash element queries um, combined with grid layout? This would be a game changer. We're at an interesting time. I think the status of them is pending. And there was, you know, it was like the Responsive Images Working Group decided to like take this on kind of, but that feels kind of on hold to me. 
like they they have a page for it. It's up. There's like some collected use cases. There's plenty of blog posts about people talking about it. There are plenty of implementations of it that happen like in different ways. Like there's a couple of JavaScript libraries that that approach it in different ways. I think some of them are like very JavaScript based, and some of them are we will parse your CSS and kind of polyfill something, but it's not really called a polyfill or even a prolyfill because the syntax for it is very much not decided on yet. So whatever uh, thing that purports to do this is has invented their own syntax for it, Mm -hmm. which I think would be responsible to make it very weird. You know, that's one of my problems with post-CSS plugins sometimes is they pick a syntax that's like too close to how actual CSS works. Uh, If you're going to invent something, like make it really weird and namespaced and like unlikely that actual CSS will ever go there. Because that, that way the feature can actually land or else (laughs) like, yeah, it actually can block actual, actual implementation sometimes, sometimes. Uh, anyway, so what's the status? It feels pretty pending to me. Although I should say that I just saw a presentation from Philip Walton from, Google about Houdini and Houdini apparently could do it. Like there, ha- nobody has used Houdini to write one of these things yet, but it has the tooling in it. Houdini is probably more than we can maybe explain at the just like tail end of the show. But it's like oh, we should APIs do a Houdini that, show. Oh, uh, we should because it, it it is. I'm compelled by it. It's it's interesting. Um, it's it's kind of like the, the way I thought of it is that, or you know. This isn't my. This is this is my unique thinking. But you kind of get a canvas API for an element, and and then and it has some of the same abilities. Like you need to really low level draw over this element. Like it's that low level. It's like on mm. you now to to like control the drawing of this element. Wow. Uh, so you know, Philip Walton showed this demo of like background image circle, and he implemented a circle function. In CSS, and and then and then you could like use Canvas APIs to actually draw that circle. So now all of a sudden, there's this CSS feature uh, implemented on this website that draws circles in the backgrounds of things. But in a, in a way that you just ship it all with the package of your website. It's not like all websites can draw circles. Just this website can draw circles because you shipped some JavaScript that told this browser how to draw circles as background mm-hmm. images. You know, it's like you ship your own polyfills yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Kind of low level like right. language functions. Yeah. He's kind of saying, you know, like this these Houdini APIs have access to all kinds of stuff. All mm-hmm. kinds of stuff. The content of the element and all of its like DOM information, you know. And part all of that DOM information, of course, includes how wide is this is this element. So now you, mm-hmm. you now that you know that information, you could use it in JavaScript to implement some kind of function. That you know, yeah. you'd have to invent your own API. How wide is it? Border none. You know, sure. Like, yeah, yeah but it's really low level. I mean, so it's yeah. going to be a bunch of work. But the the tools are there to do it. And I think the status is let's ship Houdini. Let's let somebody else take a crack at this. Mm-hmm. Then let's see what they do, and then we'll move forward. Maybe that's kind of the vibe I'm getting. Yeah, I I, I think browsers still sort of see it as a niche problem or like, like we're going to let somebody else figure it out. Um, but I know the developer demand is there. I, Zach Leatherman, I think <laughs> tweeted, he's like, I think it's pretty damn hilarious. Like we're getting like VR in browsers before container queries, you know, like, because like 
Yeah. Like everyone's doing VR, web VR right now, but no one is. It's just a bunch of people in San Francisco. So um, I don't know. I, I yeah, I it. I will say this: it's uh, late June here when we're recording this, but um, the the uh, responsive images community or responsive issues community group has been pretty active. Oh, they specific, have been active. Yeah, this oh. week or it has been pretty darn active about right. uh, container queries. So, um, but I, I don't think any progress is happening. I just it's just been active conversations. Like, what are we doing? How does this work? There has been a few advancements in CSS, like. Um, uh, layer contains the contains property. Have you heard about this? It's it's basically like you say like it's a way to scope a style to say like yeah. um, contains it's whatever. I mean, we people have been wanting and then there's has you know, but that it, but it's I think it's the same or, kind of thing. Uh, no, it's like a it's like um uh, CSS contains it's like contain containment um and it you you can like uh. Uh, here's this is contain strict and like you can contain like the oh it's layout like, related not like yeah. it has the sub element it says yeah that this yeah 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 so here's the values contain none strict layout style paint size contain so you're basically you can say like this thing only paints it never calculates a style it never layout like you could basically like say like dude this is all it does. So like skip all the other checks you do. This is all it does. It's a little hijacky, but um, that's, that's my in, in, imitation of it is like, it, or my impression of it. So I may be wrong here, but it's kind of like saying like, this is all it does. Like you can, you, you know, like the size containment, it, it will like, it, it doesn't like affect size. It's like very strict. Um, I'm explaining it even worse now, but that was kind of a feature that that so needs to be there. Of, yeah, it was like a prerequisite for doing. Yeah, because if you think like contains uh, like width or something like that, that does not exist. But like you're basically saying like like its width would would be the only thing that's like that I care about, or like you can never it can never explode out of its width or whatever. Like it's it's always width whatever, 100% inside that parent container. It doesn't shoot out or something. That would be a feature we could use to kind of force media or container queries to do what they want to do. So some of that, I guess, that's all to say, they do have a thing about container queries in in this link from CSS Tricks, but um, like it can help avoid the problems of container queries, which is that recursive CSS issue. Yeah. I hate that one because I'm like, dude, this has been solved other times, so solve it again. Anyway, I would say this, I I could be wrong, so whatever, but it seems to me that it's going to happen and that I would guess, like if you want to toss a date on the calendar, but this time next year, we're going to be talking about potential implementations, if not looking at early ones. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Well, hopefully it comes. So light a light a candle <laughs> and say a prayer because it would be awesome if we had it. So, all right, Chris, I think we should wrap it up uh, because, like I said, I got got that one on one with a bot here. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcatcher shorts. Be sure to star heart favorite it up. That's how people find out about the show. Head over to shoptuckshow.com or slash jobs. Get a brand new job if you hate your job uh, because people want to hire people like you. Uh, and you're not kidding, Chris. There's like 
usually there's like tens, but there's like twenties of jobs right now. So it's, it's looking real nice. So, um, and then, yeah, Chris, you got anything else you'd like to add? Oh, shopdogshow.com. 